Good afternoon. Um, as you notice on the slide, I just want to make sure everyone is aware we won't be having our midweek service next week. Uh, every year uh, in September, they held uh, the district holds a pastors' conference, so I'll be away at that for those days. Uh, but then we will resume back again the following week, just like normal. And we'll make sure that Susie also sends out a couple e-blasts just to remind everyone. But I wanted to make sure I told all of you today. Our first reading is from the fifth and sixth chapters of Jeremiah. And before we begin our reading, I'd like to give you just a little bit of background uh, information on what's going on. Otherwise, it might seem very confusing. Around 587 BC, Israel was invaded by the Babylonians, and they were basically taken away into the land of Babylon for 70 years. However, as often happens, Babylon was conquered, and the Jews were allowed to go back to Israel and were encouraged to rebuild their temple and Jerusalem itself. Uh, When they got back to Jerusalem, the wall that went around the temple and the city they discovered was completely destroyed. So Nehemiah was sent to rebuild this wall, and also their economy was completely destroyed. So he was sent back to build all of this back up again. And that's where we find ourselves in this reading. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent, could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. 
and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over their people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafira in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. According to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And I sent to him saying, No such things as you have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the fourth chapter of First Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, 
being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue our recitation with the ninth commandment. What is the ninth commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come into the ninth and 10th commandments, both of them deal with coveting. And this is always this desire in our hearts to scheme to get something. Um, It's different than stealing where you outright just take it. This is of the heart and mind. It's a plan. It's a scheme. It's a plot to get someone else's possessions. And what's terrible is often we will do this and can do this in in the world in a way that appears right, but we know it's not. I mean, how many times have you heard a joke about a lawyer being crooked or getting things in a way that appears right, but it's not right? You know it in your heart of hearts. Well, we as Christians are always to remain on the up and up, open, not scheming, not plotting, especially for any financial gain. Because as the scriptures say, money is very often the root of all evil. It's something that can pollute our hearts and our minds and our souls and take us away from Christ. This is what was going on to a great degree in our Old Testament reading. When all of these Jews came back from Babylon, they were released, they were allowed to go back, and they were given even a little bit of seed money, but not much. They basically returned back to Israel, and it was in squalor. It was a mess. After 70 years, it was not occupied. It even is described as animals roaming openly in places where the Jews used to live, where Solomon's temple used to be. This is what they faced. And sadly, the Jews found themselves in debt. 
They were selling off their vineyards, their orchards, anything they had to the unbelievers around them just so they could survive. And in fact, the scripture said it got so bad that some of the Jewish families were basically selling off their children into slavery to live, to pay off their debts. Their form of slavery would have been a type of indentured servitude. It usually lasted about 30 years. When you were 30 years old, you were released. But otherwise, you were a servant. And according to Nehemiah, what makes it even worse is that the Jews were selling their children off to Gentiles, and then some of the wealthier Jews, the nobles, were buying Jewish children back from the Gentiles to be their servants. So they were literally passing their children around. They were scheming. They were plotting. They were coveting to get what was not theirs. And what made it even sadder is that very often it was Jew coveting from another Jewish person from within. Imagine if we did that in the church. Coveting and profiting off of one another. Those who are wealthier in the church. Coveting and profiting off of those who were poorer. That's exactly what was happening. And Nehemiah brought it to a screeching halt. Uh, The interest that they were charging on materials was also out of this world. So Nehemiah said, basically, stop it. Stop coveting. Stop charging interest. If you lend someone something, fine. Let them just pay you back the worth of it. Not at a 5% charge or 25% charge. This is what Nehemiah said today. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were all silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you said. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. It's so important that we in the church, and as we see these who are in the church back here, that we we do not act as leeches, especially upon each other, but that we be content with what God has always given to us in our lives. When it comes to covetousness, the very opposite of that is contentment. Being satisfied with our daily bread, with our homes that we have, the clothes that we have, and whatever means we have to live. When we Christians live in contentment, 
satisfied with what God has decided to give us, coveting has no place in our hearts. It just can't live there. Because after all, God does not want you as a Christian clamoring around for money in this world or extras, things in this world. This world will be over very soon. We have a wealth right now in Christ. And that wealth is something that nothing can take away from you. Not even death can take away the very richness that we have in Christ. Because when it comes down to it, God has come in our flesh to die on a cross for us. And he's given that to you. That is your greatest possession. It should be. So is it? That's a matter of the heart. Only you know. And God, of course. But it can be. Christ can be our greatest possession. Can be our sole possession. Can be that which we are content with the most. Even if we have absolutely nothing else in this world, even when our very bodies are breaking and we're even losing our health and life, you still possess Christ. You still have him in his death and his resurrection, which is all yours, which is your promise. You have something given to you by God through Christ that nothing can take away from you. Absolutely nothing, not even death. And with that, we can be eternally content because God has given us the greatest gift ever in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.